He starts, she said climate change, and I stood up and I, I'm like, I'm gonna hear what he starts to say, and then I went and got some more champagne. Is anybody Welcome to the Collier Democratic Roundup, the official podcast of the Collier County Democratic Party. My name is Jeff Spencer, and I am the vice chair of the Collier County Democratic Party and the host of this podcast. This is the recap of the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. It was far more tame than the last debate, but that's not saying much because the last one was basically a dumpster fire. So, guys, Amber, Linda, how did you guys think this went down what were your general impressions let's talk about it i was relatively pleased overall with the debate i thought that kamala did what she needed to do probably more than she needed to do i think she showed herself to be competent and measured and relatable and genuine she came across as warm yet firm And she also showed that she had a good command of the issues. Pence, as as always, came off as a robot. You know, he can speak a good talking point, but I feel like there's nothing behind it. And I know that that plays for some people, but I feel like if you're contrasting her and him, I think that she was a lot more relatable to more people. And I think she was way more substantive. And I'm sure we'll get into some of that in a little bit. But like both of them didn't answer all of the questions as they were posed. But she answered way more than he did. I mean, I think I can count on one finger the amount of questions that he directly answered um, that the moderator asked. So, you know, overall, I, I was I was pleased. Linda? Yes. Hi, everyone. (laughs) I was not pleased. I wasn't. I wasn't pleased. So 24 hours after, and I still have all those feelings come back to me, much like PTSD. So last week, we had the dumpster fire of a presidential debate. And so I think coming to this one, everyone had much higher expectations for what it was going to look like since the last one was you know, by all accounts, really, really bad. So, you know, they only had to go up from here. I, like most of America, assumed that Kamala was going to really wipe the floor with Mike and, uh, you know, send him crying home to mother. But as a, as a vice presidential candidate, uh, there were a couple things that she had to do. And for most of America and, and any type of political pundit out there, yes, she did those things. I think as a woman and as a staunch feminist, I wanted a little more fire from our vice presidential candidate, whether or not that is warranted, you know, that could definitely be debated. I was most struck though, by uh, the demeanor and the words of vice president Pence. I think just from the stance of self-preservation, I tend to not watch him speak because it's very hard to watch someone lie on command all the time. And so last night I did for 90 minutes, I was in his head and I found it a very disturbing place to be. I was struck by the earnestness in which he spoke, which I think would speak to a lot of Americans, especially Trump's base, because he, he creates such a stark contrast from POTUS, but 
I think if you actually delve deep into what that stark contrast entails, you will find that it was a thinly veiled misogyny and very condescending demeanor towards the ladies in the room, both the, the moderator, Susan Page, and the vice presidential hopeful, Kamala Harris. I was struck, struck by how in so few words he made it known just how little he holds either of their opinions, whether it's he was talking over the moderator as she was asking him to stop or talking over Kamala Harris as she was, you know, quite forcefully asking him to stop or, you know, in the best possible rendition of white man mansplaining privilege, you know, sat there and had the gall to ask Kamala his own question and multiple times say, well, why didn't you answer this? Well, Mike Pence, you're not actually the moderator. So... I don't have to answer your questions, but the gall of him to think that that was going to fly in these times was unbelievable to me. I, I think I saw a side of our vice president that uh, if all Americans really want to take a good look at, it's actually almost a good idea that Trump was not impeached because if we had him in office, God help where our country would be at this very moment. Yeah. You know, last night in the, short time after the debate. I, I felt like it was a wash in terms of who won. I couldn't really tell. I felt like Pence did what he always does, which is lie very effectively. I don't think it's convincing. I think those of us who know the actual facts on, on a lot of things, it's not convincing. But I think it's effective in conveying the information that he wants to convey to the people he wants to convey it to. Um, and I thought Kamala had her moments and was able to be warm and relatable, but also be firm and uh, direct and to stand her ground. I think they both had moments that were good for both of them. But I think ultimately now with a little bit of time to really think about it, I think Kamala did a better job of reaching the middle voter, reaching the the swing voter uh, than Vice President Pence did. I think if there are voters out there that are swingable, that, that are still trying to make up their mind, I think Kamala probably did more to reach out to them than Mike Pence did. But ultimately, even if debate ended up being called a tie, that's a win for the Biden campaign because all indications are showing that uh, the Trump campaign is down and they are in a position where they have to make up, especially after the last week, which, you know, we as a podcast haven't even talked about it. We Our last podcast was the train wreck at the debate last week. And since then, the president has contracted COVID and evidently every single other person in the White House and administration has also contracted COVID. And so that was about about a week as a presidential hopeful can have. And Mike Pence really, you know, and the campaign really had to do a lot to try to turn and flip the script and get that campaign moving back to where they could shrink the expanding lead that Biden seems to be adding. And he just didn't do it. At best, I think it was a draw. And like I said, I think that's a win for Biden and it's a win for Kamala uh, that they didn't make any headway. But what, let's, let's dive into some of the, the more the policy points, the things that uh, they actually talked about. The moderator brought up a ton of different things. What did you guys think were the best moments for Kamala in this debate? 
Linda, do you want okay. to? Okay, well, sure. I'll talk about it. What do you um... think Kamala's? And why don't you go ahead and give us the weakest moments that you thought for Kamala? Because you didn't think Kamala had a, a particularly strong night. So give, give it to us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know she had her points. I was a bit hard on her uh, the first pass when we were kind of discussing this amongst ourselves. You know, I, I will further own the political objectives of a female VP in the United States today. I wish she was a bit more forceful with him. I believe that she could have had some chances to really step over him and talk or at least defend herself against some of the, the claims that Vice President Prince was lobbying on her and the Biden and the party. But, you know, she, she did kick back. I, I thought it was wonderfully strong and demonstrative any time that she, she had to ask Pence to, you know, settle down. Dude, I'm speaking now. I think that showed, you know, a level of self-possession and strength to say that in the midst of a debate and then get back on point fairly quickly because I think that's hard. I think that she was particularly strong right out the gate about COVID-19, really hammering home the fact that many, many Americans have lost loved ones due to this pandemic. I thought that she was pretty strong when she had that moment to go talk about President Trump's taxes. I thought that she hammered that home really well because that wasn't going to be a point of discussion last night. Um, she kind of got that in there and got America thinking about that, which I thought was great. I did, That was a moment where Pence did shake his head because, you know, I thought he was very well prepared, but maybe he wasn't as prepared for her to sneak that topic in there at that moment in time. I also thought that I really enjoyed the little Lincoln ditty that she did when she was talking about, you know, his decision to say when in the 1864 election, he actually, the country actually lost a Supreme Court justice. And he said, well, hey, honest Abe over here, I'm not going to push this choice through. I think the American people need to vote, you know, which is a mirror of the situation that we have right now, a mirror created by the Republicans in the last year of Obama's presidency and not being honored again the last year of Trump's presidency, hopefully, you know, and I thought she got a couple digs there about um, Trump's supposed honesty, which I thought was pretty good. So, I mean, can she hold her head up high? Yes. Do I think overall I think whether or not there were truths, half-truths, or whatever was being said by Pence, I think he said them better in my estimation. And I think that she had her chances and didn't use them when she could have. Amber, what do you think? Yeah, I find that interesting. And I know that I am biased. I know that I go into this with the knowledge that when Mike Pence is lying, that it is completely obvious because I'm aware of the topics and whether we think that maybe somebody says half truths or doesn't answer the question, you know, that's politics in general, but there's not even a remote comparison between the two. Um, that always drives me nuts. I'm not saying you said this, Linda, but like when people will say, you know, oh, they both evaded questions or they both, you know, said lies. And it's like, okay, well, if somebody evaded two questions and somebody evaded, like, you can actually judge that. You can quantify that. And the same thing with not telling the truth. So that, uh, that always irritates me. But back to your question, Jeff, <laughs> unlike at the debate, like what Linda said, I think that one of her strongest things, which partially because it's the weakest thing for Trump and Pence is the COVID. I really enjoyed 
in her first answer, she came right off the bat using words such as incompetence and ineptitude. And Pence basically did not answer that question. He did not answer any question about COVID. There were some places where I would have liked to have seen her maybe call him out on some of his lies more or the lies that he was saying about Joe Biden. And I think that's just the nature of debating. It's just impossible to get everything in. But I think that she did a really good job multiple times doing that not letting him get away with stuff, um, you know, about the fracking and talking directly to the American people. And I loved her line when they talked about global leadership. And one of the things that was a pillar of American society is that we kept our word, but Donald Trump doesn't understand that because he doesn't know what it means to be honest. Mm. I really, powerful quote. I really yeah. enjoyed that line. And I also, oh, I, I thought on the economy was actually a really strong point for her. I, I was annoyed at first because she did not mention the $400,000, the tax, your taxes will not increase if you make under $400,000. And then so he, of course, jumps on, they're going to, you know, tax years. And she immediately went to that in her rebuttal that, you know, we are not going to tax you with $400,000. And then she went and laid out, I felt, one of the most comprehensive yet understandable answers about their economic plan that I have heard. I felt like it was for people who were not paying attention. It made sense. It was thorough, but again, it wasn't in the weeds. So I felt she did a really good job there. And in general, I would say I felt that she held her own, especially when Mike Pence was continually interrupting her or Susan Page and, and him continuing to take his time even after he was asked to, to stop. And the times where she said, I'm speaking and, you know, didn't let him mansplain her about things. And also when she was saying, you know, I am not going to let the vice president talk, be lectured by him about law and order. So I thought all of those were very strong moments for her. Yeah, I, I had a lot of the same points as you as you guys did. I thought she was strong on the Affordable Care Act. The moment where she she looked in the camera and she said, if you have a heart condition, if you have diabetes, if you have cancer, if you have COVID, if you're one of the 7 million who have COVID, that's probably going to be considered a pre-existing condition. They're coming for you. I mean, those are easily usable lines that, that are going to be played. They're, they're clips that are going to be played all over the country. So I thought she was particularly strong on the Affordable Care Act. I, I also thought her her answers on the economy were, were succinct. And she made a very easy to follow argument that explained how all of these different pieces to the Biden platform fit together to strengthen the economy. And so I thought she was, she was strong there. I thought she was strong with regard to the military and I, I don't want to say the whole military because there were some parts where Pence was was pretty aggressive on uh, Suleimani and I don't know that she handled that as well as, as she could have but I, I did think that she um, she was able to express Joe Biden's statement on relationship which is where I think uh, Amber you brought up the the comment about you can't trust your word because Donald Trump doesn't know the meaning of honesty. Basically, that that all came out of, uh, you know, the military and dictators and uh, how do our allies see us? And so I thought she was she had a good moment there. And then the don't lecture me 
the prosecutor portion was very strong where she just did not take any of it. And, she, and I thought she was really good. Bad, I, I, the Supreme Court question, the duck on the packing of the Supreme Court, you know, the, the campaign's just not, uh, they're not addressing that at all. And it's becoming more and more a thing. I think they should just answer it. But they're they're trying not to paint themselves into anything that they absolutely are not going to live by, and they don't want to say it, and they don't want to not say it. Yeah, and I and I I mean because you look at like the alternative with the Republicans saying, you know, Marco Rubio saying, oh yeah, can't have a Supreme Court in election year, and I would say that even if the Republican were president, you right. know, and then now and people can just <laughs> yeah, and and I think the campaign has a right to not answered if they don't want to answer it and well, but it's not a good look it, and it it's gives not, them right it was it not a good moment ammunition mm-hmm. right and then the I other agree. item that i thought she was particularly weak on it wasn't a specific item actually it was just that she didn't take enough shots like i feel like there were opportunities for her to really attack pence but it felt like what she was kind of prepped for was focus on covid focus on the ACA and don't go out and make any news. Don't go out there and and swing at a punch that then becomes the storyline for the next two, three days. You know, the news cycle's going in our favor. And so I feel like, you know, there were a lot of stuff that she could have, she could have gone after Pence for. He made a lot of lies, a lot of stuff that was wrong. And she could have gone and, and, started throwing some haymakers and really try to hold his feet to the fire. And I feel like she was prepped to just not swing at those pitches and, and to I'm mixing metaphors all over the sports <laughs> world right now. Oh, I like uh, it. I like but, it. We're moving across all but, the sports and I dig it. Yeah. So totally. someone teed it up and they dove in and it was, it was, and, and they hit the ace and they hit the Absolutely. ace and then the river card came and it was amazing. So I just thought she could have done more, but then again, I, you know, from just a purely debate standpoint, I think she could have been stronger on those moments, but I think given the circumstances and that they didn't really want to make news, they want this news cycle of the white house being infected with COVID and, and the debate, performance and all that they want that to continue to be the story so why go out and make a bunch of news with you know saying something uh, super aggressive that distracts from you know a news cycle that's working in their favor so overall again like i said because there was no no news and i don't really feel like anybody really truly won i think that's a win for for biden so if i if i can say really quickly though amber you sent this tweet that a woman called maya watson put up on Mm -hmm. twitter which was i think explains what we were just talking about right now. And I thought it was fabulous. And again, you guys know that I was talking about this yesterday. I took umbrage with this, whatever political device it was for her to not really go after the vice president. But anywho, it says, listen, the amount of mind Olympics Kamala has to do to not come across as angry, emotional, combative, but also firm, warm, honest, direct, all while this M upper is straight up lying and gaslighting her. Woo! The strength and the talent of black women. Mm-hmm. I was like, that was so freaking succinct. Yeah. And and as a someone with a vagina <laughs> and a feminist and a voter and part black woman, I had a hard time swallowing that last night, guys. 
I really did. No one was prepping Trump to not be Trump. No one was prepping Pence to not be exactly. Pence. And I take, I take major umbrage. The fact that whatever polling, whatever focus group in 2020 says that we can't have, you know, a black woman be her full articulate self mm -hmm. because there are people out there that may not appreciate yep. it or like it or vote for it really pisses mm -hmm. me off. Yep. And you, and you have every right to be pissed off about it. It needs to change. And hopefully, you know, once Kamala is elected and she's the new vice president, you know, we'll be one, one step closer to that being the case, but let's move on to Pence. There's a lot oh. bad. And maybe a couple things good. I don't know. I'm going to really struggle to find a good thing there with that performance. But uh, Amber, what did you think? Did Pence do anything good for you? I know she did some bad things, but good for me or good for the people he was trying to. Uh... Let's <laughs> let me let me make himself. it easier. Did good, for, good for me <laughs> for his cause, not good in um... your mind, but good for his cause. That is a very. I mean, I think just compared to Trump. The fact that he can formulate full thoughts and sentences is a plus for his cause. And he comes across very calm and, and measured. And again, that is just the complete opposite of Trump. So I think having that was good for them. Um, although I do have to say that in pure Trump style, any sort of bonus that Mike Pence might have made with, you know, of course, their their main demographic, I think they're trying to get is women. Um, let's just say he made a little inroads with some women that were like, well, at least he's calm and measured. Well, then this morning, there's no news anymore on Mike Pence, because it's all the Trump, you know, circus again, he just comes out, he doesn't let Pence get any play, because well, he's taking over that. everything with just insanity. I'm, I'm looking through my notes now and trying to come up with something that I thought he did good on. I mean, he hammered, he hammered some of the conservative talking points like abortion and pro-life and taxes and stuff. But I felt, again, having somebody with, with the knowledge on these, I think the majority of them were false. In fact, the one line that really pissed me off is, how can you say with a straight face that the Democrats and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to allow abortions up to the point of, what do they call it? Up it's to a, the point. It's called the full-term yeah, abortion. Full -term abortion. full-term abortion. How do they Which does not happen, guys. It doesn't happen. I think it's important to note, I've, I've had these wicked abortion discussions with, um, you know, the radical right. And they swear that someone can walk into Planned Parenthood and ask, I, I have an eight month old fetus in me, please take it out. And Planned Parenthood is going to say yes. That is completely irrational and not remotely true. And they keep their, their states do not have those statutes. States cannot do that. And it is, it is fundamentally a misinformation campaign yeah. about the so right. Yeah. And they had a lot of those misinformation talking points. You know, he sells some things. He sells his lies pretty, pretty well. He's, I think, believable if you don't know that he's lying. You know, Ugh. no, no, I got nothing. <laughs> okay. I know. I know. And, 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 and I know that we had quite a spirited debate about this. But if we're looking at this and not as three people that are firmly entrenched in the Democratic Party and also as well-versed 
as we are in what's happening out there politically and the nuances. And I know that I said I wished Kamala had kind of hit hard on some of these misinformation moments that Pence had. But you're right. Some of these misinformation moments are nuanced and yeah. they they need an explanation. Yeah. It's not a second to say, well, let's actually talk about Soleimani and how Soleimani's death actually at that moment in time, even though he was a super duper bad dude, actually destabilized relations between us and Iran and actually almost caused a war at that moment in time, which really no one wants to talk about. But yes, we were close to war with Iran when we, you know, killed their second in command. Okay, so of course, Pence doesn't want to talk about that. And of course, Kamala doesn't have five minutes to elucidate the American public as to why that happened. Well, that's so again, you know, tough misinformation for sure. But if we're going to look at Pence, if we're going to look at him and his performance last night, the, his sociopathic ability to look earnest while saying nothing truthful is a skill that I, I don't even know when he's honed it. Okay, but he's honed it so well that it's really, really hard. And so when I think about the people that I have conversations with, when when I try and educate people who think differently than I, when I try and have a civil conversation and people who are on the fence, people who don't read as much as us, people who aren't aware of the nuances, when he delivers lines like that in that earnest way, you betcha they're going to believe it. And that is the danger. That is why he is so dangerous. And that is why last night I found slightly sickening to my stomach. And I think he's very effective at that. He is. And and, and I thought he was strong on Suleimani. I thought he was strong on the Supreme Court. I thought he was strong on taxes. Not in the way that I think he actually said anything that was 100% accurate. But I of think course. he sold what he was saying fairly well to the audience that he was targeting. And... You know, I thought he was bad in, in the more broad topics that we've already discussed, which is that he was lying about everything. He was evasive of, on every question. He was uh, misogynistic and and condescending to the only two people that he was interacting with, who were both women. So I, I thought generally it was just an off-putting performance for the vice president. And, you know, a perfect example is to go back to Kamala missing an opportunity. You know, the Supreme Court comes up, Pence immediately pivots from the Supreme Court into abortion and hitting this talking point about abortion. Uh, I thought that was an opportunity for Kamala to take that and go head on with it, to address it directly, because, you know, polls generally show that 60 to 70 percent of Americans want to keep Roe v. Wade, that they don't want it overturned. And, you know, I felt like the the area that Trump, the Trump campaign needs to really reach out to is suburban women and suburban women definitely don't want Roe v. Wade overturned. Yeah. So I, I thought that was an opportunity. But again, back to what I think was preached in the lead up to this and in Kamala's team and the Biden campaign was hit the Affordable Care Act and hit COVID. Right. And so she did not take the bait on the on the abortion topic. And she instead took the Supreme Court and pivoted to the Affordable Care Act being repealed. And this comes down to the central question that goes on with all these is that you are trying to reach particular voters and to talk about what matters to them in their lives. And while I think Suleimani, he was particularly strong on Suleimani, I think if she had spent 
the five minutes explaining Suleimani, that's a yeah, loss you, for Biden. You wouldn't get any. And there is not a voter who is going to change nope, their mind voting on, on that issue. But if she she instead pivots onto some other topic that will matter in their life and they can realize this will right. help me in right. my life. I think that's that that's what the game is in this in this whole situation. So and then, You're of course, right. the fly. Uh, we haven't brought up the fly, but the fly, <laughs> the big star of the night was this fly that landed on Mike Pence's head for a solid two minutes, did not move. And ironically, I shouldn't say ironically, uh, it was in the middle of the of one of the more explosive topics on race relations. Mike Pence is giving an answer, being mildly racist with his answer, and I had a hard time following it because I kept staring at this large black fly on this brightly silver mane of hair that he has that just sat there. And I kept wondering, does he feel it? Does the moderator see it? Is Kamala going to say anything? What, you know, I don't even know if Kamala saw it. I know. She did not react. I haven't read anything. Yeah, she didn't I, react. I, I, I was, uh, yeah, that that totally threw me. That I lost the two minute uh, section there, where I just didn't hear anything, and I was just totally in my own head about what this fly is doing. That was fine to lose and, those two uh, minutes of of your life. That was not going to add to anything. Yeah. And hopefully, yeah, most people could have just, I, you know, when it happened, and we kind of everybody kind of laughed about it, and then immediately that became just the thing yeah. that people were talking about because it was kind of a dull debate, if you will. Um, and so everybody was talking about that. And I kind of thought, okay, it's a little a bit of a distraction considering that this is like one of the most, if not the most important election, certainly in my lifetime, if not in our countries. Oh, it's in the, in history, the history of the, of the country. country. But then today, David Frum wrote a piece in The Atlantic about the fly that I thought was so spot on that. I changed my tune, and I would just read this paragraph. He says, if Pence shooed the fly and the fly refused to shoo, that would be bad. So he did nothing, and that doing nothing somehow in one powerful visual moment concentrated everything. It symbolized the whole Pence vice presidency, the determined willful refusal to acknowledge the most blaring and glaring negative realities. Through all the scandals and crimes and disasters of the past four years, Mike Pence was the man who pretended not to notice. And now there was a fly on his head, and he pretended not to notice that, too. Mike Pence. (laughs) I want you to know that Mike Pence's fly has, like, a lot of Twitter accounts now. (laughs) (laughs) Which are high. And I know that sometimes Twitter really gets me down, and then I text you guys, and then I'm like, please, I need... I need sunshine. Please give me feeling happy feelings about our human race. But at other times, Twitter can be gold, yeah. and it it's, was gold last night. <laughs> yeah, Mike Pence. Mike Pence's new the Mike Pence's flies Twitter account is comedy gold. So it's, where do we go from here? Debate's done. The spin has happened. We're twenty four hours removed from it. What does it all mean? Where, where does the race go? What do we think happens? Well, I think that it's interesting because when we, you know, wrapped our discussions up last night, you know, we took a bet as to what was going to happen. You know, was it going to be debate? Is it going to be virtual? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? And I think at at dawn this morning when the president started tweeting, he said that he was going to 
uh, do a virtual debate. And then, you know, right after that, he was like, I'm not wasting my time on a virtual debate. I'm not doing it. And so he's not. And so the next debate he has called off and Biden is planning on just doing some type of town hall with George Stephanopoulos. So, so can I can I jump in real quick? Because right yeah, no, that, that yeah. sequence, I think, is really interesting how this whole thing went down. So let's remember, Trump is still infectious and all of the White House is in, infected with covid. And so the the commission on presidential debates is forced to make a decision on how do we keep everyone safe? And so they made this decision that we'll do the debate virtually and keep the same time schedule. And so then Trump comes out and says, well, I'm not doing that. So then Biden says, yeah, we'll do the virtual. That's great. And then and then they said, well, we're not doing it. So then Biden says, OK, well, let's just move it to the 22nd. And then Trump goes, yeah, let's move it to the 22nd and we'll add one on the 29th. And Biden comes back and says, no, you can either do the virtual one on the 15th and then we'll do the 22nd. Or you want to cancel the one on the 15th? We'll just do the one on the 22nd. Whatever you want to do, bud. But you don't get to add another one because you were, you know, incompetent in your handling of the COVID virus. Mm -hmm. And so, like, (laughs) I thought he handled that brilliantly where he didn't duck. You know, because a lot of people said, should Joe Biden not debate? You know, hell, they were asking that before President Trump was COVID positive. And now they were and then the questions continued after he became COVID positive. The president is that is. And so I thought the Biden campaign handled that brilliantly because they not only did they not duck the debates, they actually put the president and his campaign in a position where it looks like. Trump is ducking the debates and he mm-hmm. doesn't want to show up and he doesn't want to do things. They handled it brilliantly. And with Trump canceling the debate on the 15th, Biden's like, I'll do a town hall with George Stephanopoulos and I'll go talk to the people because I can I can do it. it. It is a brilliant campaign move where Biden will not get criticized one bit for any of it. And Trump looks like a complete mm-hmm. fool, which he always does, but even more so in this particular moment. I thought they handled that perfectly. Yeah. That it does sound like a delicious bait and switch. Yeah. I didn't quite understand the nuance of that until you explained it. So rock on with that. Go Biden. <laughs> I love it. Hey, can we talk about that? Which is, I think it's really important to you to mention that Susan Page brought up and she actually even called it a super spreader event in that garden mm-hmm. for Amy Coney Barrett's that, you know, acceptance of, you know, being nominated to the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, and as we know, we've heard in the news that a lot of people there have, in fact, come down with COVID-19. And, you know, Pence was there as well. And and it was interesting when directly asked, he completely deflected. And it was kind of like this moment of, of don't do as we do. You see us doing this, but don't do as you see, do as you want to do. That was literally what came out of his mouth. And I think at this moment in time, I would have liked Kamala to jump on him because he was like, you know, we were outside. Like the CDC said, we should be outside. And uh, and she, I mean, it would have taken two seconds to say, but uh, you were outside until you weren't, and then you were inside. And there were like a whole bunch of people inside, like hanging out with Amy Coney Barrett. And then you were Mm -hmm. outside with like 5 million people in that little freaking rose garden and they everyone was sitting down like little sardines and when you know washington dc guidelines say if you can't be at least six feet away from someone even if you're outside you need to put on a mask so again you know flouting flouting the rules of of their own district where they have their white house and it was reported today 
that Mitch McConnell was reported as saying he's campaigning out in Kentucky in his reelection bid, but he was quoted that he has not gone to the White yes, House saw that. since August 6th. Yes. Did you see that? Yeah. He hasn't gone to the White House since August 6th because he realized that they were not taking the precautions yep. seriously. So he was not at the Rose Garden. He has not been any of the areas that the Trump campaign, the Trump administration has been having events. I I think that just goes to show that even Republicans, even though someone like Mitch McConnell, who has no problem lying and being a hypocrite and doing, saying one thing and doing another, uh, acknowledges, uh, he doesn't want to die. He's 78 years old and he had polio when he was a child. And, you know, he's one of those high risk populations that could get COVID. So I just thought that was really interesting that the the, the leader of the Senate uh, has avoided the White House. I mean, think about this. They're trying to negotiate more money for for businesses and states and, and all of this stuff. They've got a Supreme Court nominee that's coming up here recently. You've got senators running for re-election. Normally, the White House and the campaigns would be coordinating, and the leader of the Senate has not gone to the White House since August 6th. It, it's, it's stunning. It, it's absolutely stunning that that, that, yeah. that is yeah. where we are. But still supportive one of more example. the president, you know. And yeah, and hasn't really fully called him out on any of his bullshit. No. I, I'm like, you're going to do what's good for you, but there are tons of American people out there suffering or listening to this president. And you have the ability to not do that. And also, you have the ability to not help them because you'd rather put in a Supreme Court justice and you move super quickly on that. Um, the hearing starts on October 12th, whether or not any, everyone in the Senate is healthy, but we can't actually pass another stimulus. The people of this country seven months ago received $1,200. That's it for people that have been out of work and, and out of options. You know, everything is expiring and, and Mitch McConnell's Senate is ready to confirm a Supreme Court justice, but not help the American people. So I hope Amy McGrath gives him hell come the election. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm so sick of this dude. I'm literally so sick of this dude. It, it just, it doesn't get played enough. How quickly you move on one thing and let the American people fly in the wind against yeah. adversity suffer. and suffer. People are being evicted. People don't, there's food insecurity. I mean, we see reports all the time. NPR is trying to keep their pulse on the people right now. People are getting evicted. People can't pay their cars. People are deciding whether or not they want their drugs or their food. And when I'm talking about food, I'm talking about ramen, okay? I'm not literally talking about sirloin. They're just trying to stay alive. And this guy only cares about packing a Supreme Court. The Senate only does. And packing it when, when a lot of the Senate is getting sick right now. And other senators are exposing other senators. Yeah, he's, I mean, look, I think that a lot of this is baked in. I think the American people see it. Not all of them. Obviously, there's the 40% of this population that he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and and wouldn't lose a vote. And he's, he's not losing those votes. But there is a significant portion of this country that see this for what it is. And uh, I believe Joe Biden is rounding the corner. We just all need to keep our foot and feet on the pedal and keep pushing. If you haven't gotten involved, if you haven't made phone calls, if you haven't stepped up to do lit drops or volunteer or donate, please do so. There's only 25 days left. We need everybody to keep pushing. I said this earlier today on our leadership team meeting here locally in Collier County. 
the Access Hollywood tape happened later than this in 2016. And everyone thought that was it. And Trump ended up winning. So we still have a lot of time. There's a lot of things that can happen. We can't take anything for granted. And we got to we got to push through and leave no stone unturned and, and get this thing done. But let's go ahead and end the show there. Amber, Linda, As thank always, you guys for enjoyable. coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. So that's the show. Thanks to Agent 13 for the theme song. Please remember to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We have 25 days left until Election Day. Get involved. Do something. Not much time left. Hope everyone's staying safe out there. Until next time, so long.